Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 23. I'm going to have this uh, on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 9. I'm going to just jump right in. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses, uh, forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes again in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. God, help us to understand this morning a little bit better what it means to understand who we are, what we've been created for. God, how to actually find the life that you've destined for us. God, I pray that we would look to you for our meaning and our purpose, and that we would find it there and flourish. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are... uh, we are continuing our series this week on, uh, on, uh, entitled Struggling to Believe. And the idea is that we are addressing some of the most common objections to the Christian faith. And so we've been going through these week one and week two. We asked the question, um, is the Bible trustworthy? Can I really trust what the Bible says? Is it a reliable source for truth? Um, and then last week we asked the question, um, how can there be only one way to God? Which is a very important question to ask and to answer. How can there be only one way to God? And if you've missed some of these sermons and they are there for you online, welcome to download those or listen to those anytime. And this week we're going to ask this question, does religion destroy our freedom? Which I think is a very important question. Does, does religion actually thwart or destroy our personal freedom? Here's, here's the objection. The objection is this, everyone should be able to determine his or her own truth. Everyone should be able to determine his or or her own truth. Everyone should be able to determine his or her own uh, ethical codes of behavior, their own standards of morality. In other words, Christianity's absolutist claims on what's right and wrong, they destroy my personal freedom and right to determine what's right for me. I determine what's right for me. You determine what's right for you. That's the sort of moment in our culture that is saying, hey, you, you do you, I'll do me, right? Whatever you think is right is right. Whatever I think is right for me. And any, any restraint and any restriction on my choices is an attack on my freedom, religion is an attack on my freedom. Christ is an attack on my freedom. So goes the objection. And, and as we've mentioned throughout the series, Christianity does, don't, don't misunderstand, Christianity does, as well as other religions, Christianity makes these uh, absolutist, exclusivist claims um, and sets specific restrictions on our behavior, on what we're to believe, on how we're to behave, how we're re- to relate to one another in this world. To, to be a Christian means to live like Christ, to be conformed to his image, to be part of his community, the church, to imitate Jesus' behavior as we see him living and interacting with others in the Gospels. It means submitting ourselves, submitting ourselves 
to His Word, to the commandments found throughout Scripture. In his book, What Does Jesus Demand from the World, uh, John Piper summed it up just like this. What Jesus demands from the world can be summed up this way. Trust and treasure me above everything else. What does Jesus demand of the world? He says, trust me and treasure me above everything else. That means that, that we trust God to know what's right for us. We trust God to know what's best for us. We, we trust God um, in terms of what we are supposed to do, what we are not supposed to do, what will make us flourish, and we will worship Him and we will treasure Him more than we worship and treasure ourselves. That we submit to Him as Lord and not think of ourselves as sovereign. One writer put the objection this way, that, that some say that Christian belief, uh, the Christian belief in an absolute, one-size-fits-all truth that is objectively true for everyone, it's subversive to our individual and communal freedom. Christianity is an enemy of authentic personhood, of social cohesion, and even freedom itself. And this is a real fear, right? This is reasonable. But where is this fear coming from? Why, why is it? Have you, have you considered this, church? Why is it that there is such a profound resistance to any or all outside restrictions on how we're to live or on what choices we should make or on what is actually right and wrong for the world? Christianity in this sense and that it does make specific claims on our life and on our belief and on our behavior. It is in this sense, it does for many in this sense, feel like an attack on our personal freedom. In many ways, it may feel like an attack on your personal identity. It may feel like an attack on who you are as an individual. Now, why is that? In his, in his book, A Secular Age, which is a great book, uh, Charles Taylor defines our current cultural moment. And really, uh, know that this, this sentiment and this belief is actually relatively new and relatively specific for our time and place in history. He defines this current cultural moment as the age of authenticity. That authenticity is essentially the highest good, the thing that should be most praised in this world. And he says, this is what I mean, that each one of us has his or her own way of realizing our humanity and that it's important for us to find that and live out one's own life. That we decide who we are, how we should behave, and what we should believe. We decide for ourselves what's right. Not God, not the church, not anything else. There is no right and wrong other than what I decide is right and wrong for myself, so long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. We, we are living in this unique time and place where, where the supreme value is in self-actualization, being ourselves to the fullest. And, and the greatest act of freedom is self-expression. We, we want to know ourselves and we want to express that to the world. This is the age of authenticity. In, in the book, Reason for God, and we have those available for you on the back there, Tim Keller mentions um, the, the 1992 opinion of Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy um, in the Supreme Court case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, and, and Kennedy makes this statement. I'm going to have this on the screen for us. Kennedy makes this statement, at the heart of liberty, I want you to consider this, church. 
At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of life. For some of us, that may seem, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But, but notice what he's saying there. It, it captures sort of where we're at culturally in this moment. He, he is not saying um, that at the heart of freedom is our, that we are free to discover what is true. What is he saying? We have the freedom to define what is true. To define our own meaning. I have, I have the right to define my own concept of existence. I have the right in myself to define uh, meaning, to define the universe and the mystery of human life. That's up to every individual person. What a, what a dangerous view. There is inside of us, church, and we, we feel it. There is inside of us a war for sovereignty, that we want to be God. There, there's, there's nothing more human than wanting to be God. And there is a war in our hearts that is saying, I am God above everything else, that God doesn't have the right to say what's right for me. I have the right to say what's right for me. And this was, of course, essentially the first sin in Scripture. In, in the book of Genesis, and you read the story of Adam and Eve, essentially they decided to distrust God, right? So God had spoken. God had given them his word. He said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want you to do. This path leads to life. This path leads to death. They decided to trust God and to define for themselves what was right. And it's been downhill ever since, right? This is the story of humanity. So the question is, do, do I have the freedom? Do I have the right to determine my own meaning and my own purpose? And, and is that really freedom at all? Is that really freedom at all? The, this idea, this worldview uh, that freedom equals, and here it is, freedom equals independence. An un, unrestricted self-expression. This idea is known as uh, expressive individualism. And, and the idea here is that the purpose of my life is to know myself, is to be true to myself, is to express myself without restraint. I want to be myself, right? I want to I find myself. I am sovereign over myself. You do you. I'm going to do me. We don't need to put pressure on anyone about what is actually right or actually wrong or actually true or not. Everyone is, is free to determine it for themselves. In this framework, one writer says, in this framework, anything that gets in the way of self-exaltation and self-fulfillment is the problem. That means that any universal or binding ethic morals that are absolute truths are transcendent. In our culture, all of these fall down before the idol of the mighty me. That we are God. 
And we choose for ourselves how we should live. Jesus can't make any claim on who I sleep with. Jesus can't make any claim on how I spend my money. He can't make any claim on how I spend my time. That's up to me. I'm sovereign over all those decisions in my life. As one author noted, Christianity is a straitjacket. That's the fear. That's the objection. Writer Trevin Wax, and I'll have this on the screen behind me, says, if the first and greatest commandment is to be yourself, then the unforgivable sin is to be false or to wilt before some external benchmark that others, like the church, might foist upon you. Sin, then, is the failure to be true to yourself. And thus the solution is not repentance, but reassertion. It's to reestablish your claim to ultimate sovereignty over your own life, to courageously resist the outside forces that would call you to any kind of conformity. The idea that the, that the, the greatest sin is for me to not be myself and to express that fully. And what anyone else would say, they don't have the authority over my life to say it. There's an underlying question here, uh, and it's a, it's a big question, and it'll take us the rest of our lives to figure it out. What are people for? What are you for? What were you built for? What were you made for? Who or what are you meant to worship? Meaning, meaning who or what should your life orient itself around? Who, who is the sovereign Lord over your life? You? Your parents? Who, who or what gets the glory? In your life, as you're living, as you're thinking about your decisions, as you're thinking about your opportunities, as you're thinking about your own rights, who gets the glory? What do, you, what do you most prize? What do you most value? Your own unrestrained independence? What are you made for? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I know several of you know this, it asks the question, this first question, I'll have it on the screen. What is the chief end of man? What are we for? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what we spend our whole lives understanding and unraveling. What am I for? What is the purpose of my life? What, am I, what is this, all this really about? We, we were built to glorify God, to make God look good, not, not to make him look different than he is, but to show him as he is, as the great and sovereign and gracious Lord, and, and then to enjoy it. Just to enjoy it, because that's real freedom. That's not oppression, that's freedom. Isaiah 43, this will be on the screen behind me too. Scripture says this, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. 
whom I formed and made. You want to know what you're all about? You want to know who you are? You want to know what you're built for? Whom I created for my glory. To be a Christian means understanding um, that you were created, that you, that you are loved, that you've been redeemed, that you have been formed for a purpose that you didn't decide, that was decided for you, and that purpose is created for His glory. This is what you're for. This is what I'm for. This is what all of creation is for. C.S. Lewis has this great passage in one of his books. He talks about, and actually, I think I have this on the screen. He, he, He writes this. He says, God made us. He invented us as man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. This is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about with religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. If we were made for him, if we were made for his glory, um, then living for ourselves and living for our own glory would be a form of self-destruction. Trying trying to thrive under our own rules, rejecting God's rules and trying to thrive under our own rules um, would be impossible. It's an impossibility. You can't thrive under new rules. You didn't make you. It's like hoping an engine would thrive filling the tank with orange juice. It's not going to work. That's not what it was built for. That's not what it was designed for. Jesus, Jesus shows us how to thrive. Jesus shows us how to find our true selves and to be our true selves. He shows us how to do it. And, he, and it was in this passage that we read at the beginning in Luke 9. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In his book, The Contemporary Christian, John Stott said this, uh, and I may have this back here, true freedom is freedom to be my true self as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving. But loving is is giving. Loving is self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself. In order to be myself, I have to give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. True freedom, then, is the exact opposite of what many people think. It is not freedom from all responsibility to God and to others in order to live for myself. That's bondage to my own self-centeredness. Instead, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and love for others. Freedom, then, if you think of it, that we, if you can see that you were created, if you can see that you were created for a purpose, if you can see that God, that God is there and that he formed you, and you trust him at his word, freedom then doesn't lie in self-actualization. It lies in self-denial. It's a giving of yourself. 
And of course, we know this intuitively, right? True, true and ultimate freedom uh, requires restriction and restraint. Certain restrictions, certain limitations are not only important for us, they are empowering for us. Let me ask you this. Is a fish more free, restrained inside a fishbowl, or unrestricted on the carpet? Which is more free? Which is more life-giving? What was he designed to do? Restrictions and restraint can be life-giving. Often our desires... Often our desires even contradict one another. We've got our own war going on. So, so in terms of looking inside yourself to find out who you truly are, you're always going to feel like a schizophrenic. Because we always want different things, often competing things. We, we want to be able to eat whatever we want, whenever we want, as much as we want. But we want to look good in a bathing suit, Right? You can't have it both ways. You can't have, restricting this one thing actually gives you freedom in the other. You may want to master a particular skill or trade, and yet you want to waste time on very unimportant and unfocused things. Maybe you want sexual exploration or innovation, and yet still your heart longs for intimacy and companionship. Often our desires are at war even with one another. Real freedom can only be enjoyed once one desire is constrained for another. The key, to, to, the key is to find which constraint is most liberating. One writer put it like this, freedom is not the absence of restrictions, it is the presence of the right restrictions. This is a restriction in my life. And what a joy. What freedom there is in this. Let me try to answer some of these objections as clearly as I can. Um, because this is, I get, when I'm, when I'm putting this thing together, I'm, I'm understanding that this is, a, uh, this is a complex idea, this is a complex topic. Let me just ask you a few questions and for us to consider together. Does Christianity seem too restrictive for you? Does it seem too costly for you? And the first thing I want to say is, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But before you dismiss it, before you dismiss Christianity, make sure you actually understand it. Make sure you actually understand it, because God does make serious demands on your life. In fact, as we said, he demands everything from you, but you may be surprised by what he offers you. Before you dismiss it, make sure you understand it. Does Christianity seem to threaten what you value most? What do you value most? Consider what you value most. Do you value pleasure the most? Do you value uh, power the most? Do you value prestige the most? And, and if you think about these things, if you think about what you actually value... Do those things actually provide real and lasting freedom? Or are they often their own types of slavery themselves? Anybody here ever been a slave to power? Anybody here ever been a slave to pleasure? It's just another taskmaster, right? Does Christianity seem to thwart your pursuit of pleasure? Pleasure? 
sexual pleasure, financial pleasure, the pleasure of comfort and ease, the pleasure of self-expression. I'm not denying the pleasure in those things. I'm just asking you, does, does Christianity seem to thwart your pursuit of pleasure? Consider whatever those things are for you, whatever brings you pleasure, consider are those things the source of, of deep and lasting pleasure for you? Are they? Or, or have you tasted them and found them still wanting? Do you get a sense still of being unsatisfied? That you were actually made for more joy than this, that you were made for more freedom than this, that you were made for more life than this. C.S. Lewis says, if, if we find in ourselves a desire which nothing in this world can meet, the only logical explanation is that we were created for something beyond this world. There is, of course, in us a hunger and an ache for, for a freedom deeper than the freedom that can be found in the pleasures that are so fading in this life. Do you really feel more free without restraint and restriction? I think this is an important question for you to consider. Do you? Do you really feel more free away from restriction and restraint? Because I would challenge you that you don't. I, this was even a, a realization for me um, many years ago and thinking, you know what, I value freedom, I value independence, I value getting to sort of do what I want to do just like everybody else. But then it dawned on me one day that all of the things that are most meaningful to me, all of the things that bring me most pleasure in this life, all the things that fulfill me, like my wife and children, like my friends and family, like, like church and ministry, my calling, all of those things are terribly restrictive. They hold me in. Now, does that mean that there's less joy there in freedom or more joy there in freedom? They're the most fulfilling things for me. They're the most humanizing things for me. They're the most joy-filled things in my life. And I'll ask you this question. Who, who is ultimately sovereign over you? Are you? Who, who is ultimately sovereign over you? And consider that if you were in fact created, then your creator, not you, determines your purpose and meaning. It just stands to reason, right? If you have a creator, if you can concede that fact, if someone made you, then you as the creature don't have the ability, you don't have the right to decide for yourself what your own purpose and meaning is. And now consider for a moment how liberating that truth is. Consider for a moment that if we have a creator who has a purpose and meaning for our lives, how freeing that is. That we don't have to sort all that out. It's been told to us. It's been given to us. You, you are not free. I am, I am not. My life is not free when my life is in my hands only. But my life feels so free. I can rest so much better in the hands of a sovereign God. I believe that he knows better than I do. Just for even for yourself, even for your own life, 
Think back at some of the things that you wanted, some of the things that you desired, the things that you pined for, and how terrible it would have been if you would have gotten it. We don't know what's best for us. God knows what's best for us. Who is all, God is all-knowing and all-loving and all-powerful, and He's right there ready to shape our lives. He's saying, you have a purpose. You're made for my glory, and then you're just to, just to wallow in it with pleasure. Augustine says, our, our hearts, and some of us feel this way, our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. But by playing God of our own lives, we are placing a burden and demand on ourselves that we cannot bear. It's too much. We're not built for sovereignty. We're built for submission. What is the most freeing thing in your life? What is the most freeing thing in this life? The, the, the most freeing thing in this life is also the most, uh, that, that demands the most self-denial and personal sacrifice. The most freeing thing is love. It's love. It's what we were built for. Christianity is not only a set of rules. It's not only a set of rules. The, the rules and restrictions are, are, are worth it because they are ultimately life-giving and, and ultimately joy-producing. In Scripture, you read in Deuteronomy, this is actually repeated over and over again, that, that God is speaking to His people and He says, I'm giving you this law. I'm giving you this instruction. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm speaking to you about how you should live and behave so that it will go well with you. So that you can enjoy what, how I've made you to be. So that you can enjoy this life. That's not restriction. That's freedom. Conforming your behavior to what Christ demands is not an undue burden, but a means of experiencing a greater joy and a deeper and more profound relationship with your Creator. And don't, don't be mistaken. Each one of us in this room each one of us in this room has already submitted to a particular religion. It may be the religion of self-expression and self-worship. Maybe that's your God. Maybe we've submitted to a religion of rules and restrictions without relationship, and that's as burdensome. Some of us have submitted to this religion of relationship with Christ who demands everything from us and gives us more than we could imagine. Freedom and salvation are not, are not found in following a particular set of rules. But when we are saved by grace, when we experience that love for ourselves, when we, when we receive this unmerited gift of love, we didn't deserve it, this gift of love from Jesus, because we are already accepted in him, we long to obey him. We long to bring him glory because he's a gracious God. Let me close with this. Does, does religion destroy your freedom? Jesus says this, Matthew 11, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, he says. I am gentle and lonely in heart, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 